very warm welcome to you from Equa Marketing. This presentation is brought to you by Equa.com, a leader in digital marketing. Hello everyone, welcome to another amazing episode of Growing Dentist and I'm so glad I have Dr. David Maloli with me. His story in itself is what's inspirational and the lessons he learned. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to having an amazing time today. Dr. Maloli, welcome. Thanks so much. I'm honored to be with you today. Thank you, Doctor. Why don't we start by, you know, kind of introducing you to our listeners. You know, tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, um, I'm at heart a Nebraska farm kid. I grew up in a town of about 7,000 people, a little town called Lexington, Nebraska. Um, grew up around uh, a family. My grandparents were Lebanese immigrants that started a farm there. My dad had 11 siblings. And so all I knew was kind of the hard work and the and the 24-7 work ethic that went into raising cattle and keeping the crops watered and harvested and all that goes into that. And so um, I didn't really know any different. My aunts were like second mothers to me. My uncles were like second fathers to me. My cousins were my mentors and my babysitters. And so that was uh, where I started. Um, from there, pretty typical going through high school and undergrad. And uh, you and I talked about offline um, the book, Stephen Covey. I was kind of a I didn't put much effort into my education, to be honest, in, edu in uh, high school or undergrad for the first couple of years. And if you looked at my transcript, you, you, you would see the results of that. But that book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, um, quite frankly, I don't even know why I read it because I wasn't a reader, but it was given to me as a gift by my mother. And the whole thought of uh, understanding where what's the end of your days, how you desire them to look and then reverse engineering that made me realize that I was on the wrong path and that I needed to do a pretty significant pivot to, to get on the path that uh, I would be proud of at the end of my days. So that as Covey talks about, what would a family member, what would a friend, what would a colleague say about you uh, at your memorial service or funeral? So that transformed my life forever. And um, shortly after that, I, um, I was in athletic medicine at the time. And shortly after that, I decided that um, taping ankles and rehabbing knees wasn't my future. Those guys, um, it seems like a glorious job when they run onto the field when there's an injured football player. But to do that, a lot of times it means a lot of travel and not much time with your family. And I recognized that early. And so um, a dear friend of mine talked me into going to dental school in about a one-hour meeting. And um, that's what led me into dentistry. Um, so from there, I went to dental school at the University of Nebraska uh, on a health profession scholarship with the U.S. Army, served as an Army dental officer for five years, um, had the blessing of being stationed in Germany and Italy, which again, kind of transformed my life forever. Um, and then I was an associate in North Carolina for two years, and then I started my scratch start practice in 2009 in Avon, Colorado. Um, we can get into that a little bit more because <laughs> the lessons that I talked to you about before were uh, were kind of in the school of hard knocks in that startup. Um, but uh, here's where we live. I live in Vail, Colorado. Um, I believe wholeheartedly in lifestyle design, and I think that's uh, a, something I've taken from great mentors like Tim Ferriss and Stephen Covey, who we talked about before. And so um, my epic life is that I get to, in a few hours, pick my son up from first grade. Um, take him up to the mountain and ski with him for a few hours. Um, and we've done that 40 sometimes this season. So that's kind of my uh, 42 years in, in a nutshell. That's amazing. Actually, I'm also 41. I'll be turning 42 this year. So that's interesting. And I love that uh, you know statement that Stephen Covey made, which is start with the end in mind. Oh, boy. And, uh, and he talks about that in the context of life, like you said, you know, what are people going to say on your deathbed? I mean, actually, after you're dead. And then even everything you do, right? You know, everything, sure. every day, every project, every idea, every, you know, start with an intention as to what you want and then go backwards. And the clarity you get in, you know, understanding that in clearly allows you to be, you know, very focused. And, you know, you know, a lot of people say, I don't have time, I don't have time. It's because they have never really thought about what's important to them. And, you know, 
And if you yeah, know what's I, important, you'll have a ton of time. I talk to a lot of frustrated dentists, and I think as a profession, we're um, – we can uh, frustration is a is a is a common stereotype I think, um, but I I think a lot of that comes from exactly what you said is that we we don't have what we want but we don't know what we want and so to clarify that and make sure that we're headed in that direction it may not be immediate and that's fine but as long as uh, we're headed in that direction and feel like some sort of growth or ascension I I think a lot of fulfillment comes from that process. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, let's kind of, um, you know, I, I want to kind of, uh, you know, 2020 is awesome, and I'm sure you didn't, you know, get to your insights and your thoughts, uh, you know, overnight, probably like most of us, you kind of had to think about it, struggle with it, you know, maybe even fall down a few times and then think about it some more. And, you know, it's like, it's like peeling onions, right? It just gets, you know, better and, you know, like you go one layer deeper and one layer deeper and so forth, right? So. I just wanted to ask you at a 10,000 foot level, um, you know, think of yourself today versus 20 years ago. And what are some of the mindsets of you today versus, you know, before you read that book? Kind of contrast for me. I know I'm putting you on a spot. I didn't give it to you in advance. You know, I think um, back. 20 years ago, I was on defense. I was very reactive. Um, and it, it was not having a vision for my life was very demotivating for me. Um, I joke about it now because I'm the exact opposite um, person, but I distinctly remember one semester I had um, dropped a couple classes because I was falling behind and I literally would set my alarm clock to make sure that I didn't miss lunch. So I was sleeping in, I was up late doing things that were unproductive. <laughs> and um, so just having that clarity of knowing that there is a finish line that um, I think we have to come to, this, this is a little somber, but I think there's a lot of light that comes from it. I think the understanding that we're all terminally ill and that we have an expiration date that we don't know what it is um, okay. helps bring to power that um, we have one chance to play this game and we should play it full out because the scariest thing to me is um, being on that deathbed whenever it may be and having a bunch of regrets and telling my son uh, you should have done don't do what I did do that do it this way Um, that that regretful mindset is something that uh, motivates me every day and without that um, one moment or one month or one book in my life, uh, you know, I think I would have been on a beeline for that path of regret. Yeah, before we move on to the next uh, aha moment, let's, let me, I want to dwell a little bit on this. Uh, so you said, I don't want to, I mean, I used to play defense, now I play offense. I, I think the way I took it is, what you're saying is, in, in 20 years ago, your life controlled you and you were just reacting to things. But now you control your life, and it starts from what you want. You know, the clarity of, you know, you know, that that that. What's going to make me feel like yes, I had an amazing life, right? And and then go back. And I I bet when you first asked that question, maybe 15 or whenever you after you read that book, I'm sure you don't have all the answers you have today. So even that answers probably keep evolving and changing and growing because. You know, as you grow, your confidence grows. So now you're going to, you know, say, hey, you know what? Maybe, you know, when your son was born, maybe you would have been happy doing that, you know, three times a year. But now you want to do it every day, you know, skiing with him. So mm-hmm. what I'm saying is we evolve, right? So we reach higher because, you know, the first step is always hard. We think small. And then we're like, yeah, you know what? This is easy. I can go to the next next level, right? Um, so, so for the listeners, what you're saying is, um, by asking you know, what you want, what's important to you, and asking it again and again and again, you get clarity. So instead of, it's almost like a, the phrase, right? Live to, uh, sorry, uh, eat to live, not live to eat, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Same thing, you know, it's like, you know, life is, is, is something you create, not something that, you know, leads you. You take control of your life as opposed to the life 
runs you and makes you do things and you have no idea what you're doing and why you're doing it and he's going round and round and busy, busy, busy. Is, is that the insight? Exactly. You know, um, it's funny. I woke up this morning and I was watching a a little like TED Talk presentation video and the speaker said, do you wake up in the morning feeling like a gazelle or do you feel like a lion? And his analogy was exactly that. The, the gazelle has to run to play defense, essentially, keep his, keep himself alive from the lion whereas a lion goes out and plays offense. So uh, to feed his family and and in dentist terms, to create a practice that they're proud of and that fuels the lifestyle that they're proud of. And, you know, um, to to cite another um, big thought leader, um, the founder of Amazon talked about having this cushy job with a big bonus and pursuing... Amazon, and he called that his regret minimization strategy. So a lot of times we can stay cozy or today, and you might even have to take a step back. But to, the thing that we talk about a lot on the on the Real Honest Dentist podcast is designing your epic life. And so making sure that you um, see those ambitions and that you're willing to step out of your comfort zone, do the things that you fear to to reach that next level, like you said. It's funny. I was just reading, uh, you might want to read it, uh, Amazon, uh, Jeff Bezos' uh, letter to his shareholders. He, every year he writes a letter. Oh, and wow. um, this year he talks about, uh, you know, I think the question somebody asked is, you know, so he, he had told people, his team, that, you know, every day is day one, meaning be <laughs> a beginner every single day. And somebody had asked him, you know, what about day two? And then he goes on to explain what happens in day two, right? You start getting comfortable. And, and day one for him is like, be that child. You know, like think think of the child, right? The child that climbs that stairs for the very first time. You know, nobody told the child to do it. Nobody said, oh, you might fall and you might break. You know, just starts one day deciding, you know, decides to climb that, you know, stairs, right? And then... Um, he puts his one hand and, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing and he didn't read a book on how to climb a stair. He didn't, you know, teach him. Nobody taught him. No, you know, he didn't watch a video. And then uh. he falls down and, you know, what? he gets back up again and he tries again, right? And uh, and we are like standing behind worrying, oh, what if he falls and flips and, you know, we are like <laughs> worrying and worrying and worrying. But he figures it out, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a, uh. you know, 12-month-old baby. Then we grow up as adults. And we kind of lose that childlike, you know, that wonder, that curiosity, that, hey, you know, and then, and then we get stuck. Oh, yeah, this is how we used to do it yesterday. Or, oh, this is what the book told you to do it. Oh, this is what my university degree professor told me. You know, it's always somebody else telling you as opposed to using, like, what happened to that child, right? I mean, it just vanishes. Yeah. And, um I, I I don't know. I mean, you talked about Jeff Bezos. I mean, he's a pretty interesting guy, and you know, um, he's laughing. You know, I'm sure I've seen his crazy laughs and stuff. Uh, but anyways, uh, but it's interesting. It's funny how I mean, and and I think a lot of this stems from uh, the scientists and and dentists, and then furthermore, because we go to dental school where there's really no margin for error, we're always graded against perfection, and so we become very. In those four years of training, we become very risk averse, and so um, it's it's counterproductive when you become a business owner, practice owner, to think that way because um, the technology is evolving, um, the insurance game is evolving, the whole climate of dentistry is always evolving, and if we stay put and try and um, just maintain a plateau, that's the biggest risk to me, and so. I think it's important that we kind of embrace, if you go to the gym, you expect to feel a burn, you expect to sweat, and that's how you grow. And I right. think business, business is the same way, although we like to deny, <laughs> deny that fact all the time. Exactly. And I think it's, you're absolutely right. You hit it right on the you know, nail on the head, which is, you know, um, I mean, from the time you are in a small child in kindergarten, especially when adults get involved with the child, right? When the child is a child, child grows like amazingly, right? Minute adults get involved, we send them to school, and they're supposed to sit there for three, eight, you know, eight hours, and we tell them how to get an A, and we tell them how to please the teacher, and all of that stuff. And then we train them, like we brainwash them, like this for 18 years, and then oh, yeah. we have standardized tests. Oh, he, that person got a hundred, so he gets to go to this university or this school, and you know, SSAT. And you know, again, I have a 
teenage daughter and I know, you know, getting a perfect score on SSAT is not that hard. You just find a tutor, you figure out the system, you hack the system, you get a perfect score. It has <laughs> nothing to do with how smart you are. You know what I mean? But then we say, well, the kid who got, you know, perfect score on SSAT is go to, goes to Harvard and we, we kind of put these schools and everything else on a pedestal and Steve Jobs born to, like you, you're born to what, you know, uh, Lebanese immigrants. Uh, I guess mm-hmm. his dad was Syrian immigrant. I mean, he, he didn't have a dad. I mean, his step parents, right? And right. he's brought up in all these crazy circumstances and he didn't, he drops out of high, you know, uh, college and he changes the world. Right, yeah. as opposed to all these people with all these, you know, big name, everything, and you know, whatever. I mean, so my point is, that I'm not against people with big name degrees. I'm just saying, sometimes what we think is the right answer usually is the wrong answer, and, and we kind of reinforce that, and and um, oh, then we have done the mistake, and then we don't want to say we made a mistake, so we kind of keep defending it and defending it. Right. You know. And, uh, Funny, I was just talking to a family member this week who was um, looking to grow her business, and she said she wanted to take this next leap, but she's terrified. And I said, that's a good indicator that you're on the right track. Right. Exactly. I mean, yeah, so I think this idea of, you know, F is bad and A is good, then failure is, you know, a bad word is is it's crazy. That's exactly why people get stuck in the same old, same old for 50 years, as opposed to a guy who doesn't care about failing. He looks forward to learning from failing. You know, he just keeps growing and growing and growing. And it's uh, difficult for dentists because, you know, we, we are always in that precision mindset and trying to perfect our margins and perfect our occlusion and uh, perfect the aesthetics and the shade matching and the translucency. And it's, uh, going back to what I mentioned before, that that, that same skill set does not work in business. So you have to embrace the multiple hats that you wear and almost take a contrarian view, um, knowing what role that you're sitting in, whether you're working in your business or on your business. Um, I find that I have to become a different version of myself and the precision that I need when I'm a clinical dentist and making sure that I'm giving a painless injection is completely different that when I'm sitting down and trying to forecast the next year and make, you know, bold moves so that my practice continues to grow um, and really pushing a comfort zone. So it's, it's a, it's a difficult game that we have to play as dentists, but I think the more we embrace that um, we have a leadership hat, a clinician hat, an entrepreneur hat. um, A lot of us have to be community builders and step outside our comfort zones. If we're, if we're introverts, which is pretty common, um, do the radio spot, go on TV, um, do the YouTube video. All those things um, are things that we avoid, but the, the blessings of, of taking that leap um, can be quite profound. Absolutely. Speaking of dentists, um, I work with 140 dentists, you know, very directly because we do marketing for them. And yesterday I had the privilege of uh, talking to a, um, a dentist, uh, kind of like you, you know, pretty, you know, like an interesting person and, you know, open thinker and stuff. His name is Dr. Trent McCord. I don't know if you know him, but uh, he started a practice. Yeah. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, talk, I, I was talking to him, and I, you know, he started a practice a year ago exactly. And uh, I asked him, you know, what's the one thing, the biggest mistake or biggest lesson you took out of, you know, your last year, you know, starting a practice from ground up? He's a young guy. He graduated in 2013. Yeah. And he goes, um, well, I wanted things to be perfect. I thought my day one is going to be perfect. You know what? Our computers didn't work. I didn't even, you know, couldn't even use half of it. <laughs> and I was stressing myself out so much because it was not perfect. I had to realize that, you know, that exact same stress I have in trying to be perfect is what's hurting me the most. So now I don't get stressed because I know it's not perfect today. I'll make it better tomorrow, right? It's not yeah. Perfect. Tomorrow I'll make it better, even better the day after. And he said that's the number one thing he got out of it. I, I, I think you're right. It's that on one hand you're taught, it's drilled into you, you cannot make mistakes, it has to be perfect. You're dealing with somebody's, you know, health and all of that stuff. Great, fine. You know, that, that caring is awesome. But what, what you're saying and what he told me yesterday was that that's great when you are working on a patient, but when you are trying to grow a business, when you're trying to grow as a human being, when you're trying to you know, grow as a dad, when you're trying to grow as, 
you know, everything else, you cannot have that mindset. You know, like, I mean, we all have our kids for the first time once, right? And nobody told us what to do. So if you try to be perfect, we're going to just overthink everything and mess it up. You know, I I think uh, it's interesting in dentistry, we're always trying to avoid problems. But if you think of our industry, we are in the problem business. So just like you said, embracing that and knowing that you're going to have a no-show. Like yesterday, I, I'm about to go on vacation. I had this onslaught of emergencies and crown deliveries before people went out of the country. And I must have seen eight patients after 5 p.m. yesterday. And that's not my ideal, but um, I had to embrace it and know that that's what allows me to go on vacation and their problems are um, my ability to solve their problems is the business that I'm in. And so those problems aren't just patient problems. They roll over into staff problems. That's part of a, that's part of being a business owner and the responsibility we have as a leader. And so the denial, the denial and arguing with that reality is what drove me crazy for probably three or four years of my practice. And now I just know that um, we set our practice day up for the ideal but we're very rarely going to hit that target. Um, there are going to be some times where we bottleneck and run behind or um, something doesn't go as planned or the crown takes a little bit more than two minutes to adjust. And that's just part of the day. We figure out how to be mentally agile and um, compensate. And that's a lot easier when you're not, um, like I said, arguing with reality. <laughs> Right. And let's pause that for a second, right? Instead of looking at the problem as a problem, if you look at it as an opportunity, you know, one of, one of the lessons I just picked up listening to you is the minute people know you're going on vacation, they want to come up with all their problems because they're afraid what if it comes when you're on vacation, right? Yeah, so maybe yeah. the lesson there is, hey, I'll keep my day before my vacation half day empty. So these things that's going to come up, because it always seems to come up right before I go on vacation, I can handle them without, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just passing it out, right? So that problem becomes an opportunity and a growth moment for you, as right. opposed to, you know, hey, I have to get stressed every time I go on vacation. <laughs> I right? totally agree. Yes, interesting. So going back to my original question, you know, you today versus you, you know, 20 years ago. One thing we talked about is, you know, you know, you were on defense versus on offense. I love that, and I love that, you know, gazelle versus lion. What's the next thing? Um, the one thing that I've, uh, probably has been the biggest growth spurt for me and kind of on that same journey of reading books, transformational books, I don't really want to pick up a book unless I can think it can um, shock my system, shift a paradigm, do something transformational, or at least uh, make me scratch my head and think in a new way. And the one thing that I've kind of made a study in the Last couple of years, and I've spoken on it on a couple of occasions at dental meetings, is that we, um, at least me, I'll speak for myself. I shouldn't say we as a broad scope as dentists, but I know there's a fair amount of people that can relate. We come from kind of a heads down, um, clinician, introvert, bookworm background, and um, we think about confidence as kind of the life of the party, the gregarious guy in college that walks into a room and all the eyeballs go on them, um, that sort of thing. And the more I studied it, the more that I realized that sometimes the people that we think are competent are it's a bit of a facade covering up for some kind of deep-seated insecurities. And the people who we think aren't competent um, are quite confident. They're strong-willed. They're, they have some grit to them. And all that to say that it's a learnable skill. I was um, probably one of the shyest people in my dental school class, probably one of the shyest people in undergrad classes. I never raised my hand. I just kind of always tried to blend in. And again, that's not productive if you're trying to grow a business. You need to be able to engage your patients. Um, some of that personality probably should come out in your marketing so they get to know and trust you before they walk in the door. And so making that a study and understanding what creates confidence and what is counterproductive to confidence and understanding that it's a muscle that you can work and flex and strengthen so that they're, in a sense, in essence, it becomes a foundation for all your other successes. Um, <clears throat> 
confidence is essentially knowing that you can create a positive outcome and moving forward and taking action in that. And so that's been a really something that has been super interesting for me to study. Um, it's quite hard to find resources that are really um, kind of distill that down into a nutshell, but I think it's something that um, your listeners, my listeners should experiment with because um, it is a, it's a multiplier. If you can figure out that, how to grow confidence um, clinically, entrepreneurially, socially, whatever it may be over time, it makes everything more robust and better. So that's uh, that's something that's been really fascinating to me recently. Yeah, actually, it's kind of funny. I run a company of 200 people, and I run my company with that single word, confidence. Uh, let me tell you how I do it. And it's kind of funny. We have never, ever met. So it's almost like I don't know how we ended up at the same conclusion. Um, I believe in this idea of growing, right? I mean, if you look at simple interest versus compound interest, the, the reason compound interest works is it grows on top of yesterday's growth, right? Yes. So if you do compound, you know, if you grow 26% a year, okay, in 30 years, you're going to grow 1,000 times, okay? It's crazy, 1,000 times, yeah. right? Same person, 1,000 times bigger, 1,000 times more impact. So I got fascinated by this idea of growing 1,000 times, and I was kind of on this journey and trying to figure it out for the last three, four, five years. And I realized at the heart of it is growth and how fast you grow. Then I was figuring out how do I find the right metric, right thing that's going to help me see am I growing or not? Is my team growing or not? And I came upon or stumbled on the idea of confidence. So this is how we do it. So everything, every person, every week, every day, even every every time slot, we call them time slots, where we work on some activity, we ask a question at the end of it. And the question is, did my confidence grow? Mm. Okay. Second yeah. is, yes or no? If it's yes, okay, great. What can I do to build on it? Okay. We call it further progress. If it's yes, what further progress can I make to build on top of this? If it's no, then the question is, okay, why didn't it not grow? What can I learn from this? I mean, classic thing we did two minutes ago is, you know, the day before syndrome where you get bombarded with everybody and their problems. Hey, why did that happen? Maybe because when people know I'm going to be on vacation, they're going to bring all the, like I've heard the same story from doctors. They go, if they're going on vacation, they are getting killed because the people without sickness, they think they have sickness and they wanted to <laughs> kind of come and see you because, you know, they're afraid what if it happens when you're not there, right? I mean, it's just human nature. So, now, instead of letting that be a negative, hey, you free up half a day and you plan for it because it has, it has been happening every time you go on vacation. So, so here in that example, the confidence did not grow. You were feeling frustrated. Instead of making that frustration take you over and you know, really ruin your vacation, you say, okay, what can I learn from this? My confidence did not grow. You know, what's the insight? Yeah, interesting. Now, take a next step, even based on that insight, even based on that my confidence did not grow. So we do that every day everything and um, we do that with people we do that with projects we do that and and, and some of the things i've been working on we have grown like a hundred times in two years but it's wow. interesting and um, you know it, it's, it's 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 you know it's it's fascinating and you're right confidence that's life because the thing is if your confidence is growing i'll give you a real story my um my daughter my eldest who's 14 now and uh, when she was tiny um um, I mean, even up to grade, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. Um, you know, she she was very shy. She wouldn't even open her mouth, and and we kind of made it worse. We came, we kind of kept saying, "Don't be shy, don't be shy, don't be shy. You should speak, you should speak. If you don't speak, this is going to happen. If you don't." And the more we said that, the more conscious she became of her shyness, and the shyer she got. So. Usually, we all have to hit rock bottom. So we moved to a new school, and I'm like, I have nothing to lose. I'm kind of one of those crazy people. I'm open to trying new ideas. So I, I pick up the phone. I call the new teacher, and I said, I need your help. She's like, shoot, how can I help? I said, you know, my daughter is like this, and, and you know, we have been telling her not to be shy, not to be shy. It's not working. What if we try something else? Now, unfortunately, we have lost credibility because she thinks we think she, she is shy. Because you have, you're a new teacher, she doesn't know you, and, and we know that she has a hell of a lot of respect for her teachers. I mean, she listens to her teachers more than she listens to us. Now I think it's kind of we are, we are maybe like 60, 40, but when she was young. So I said, 
maybe you could try noticing when she's not shy and say, hey, you know, good job, amazing, you know, you know, like point out the tiny moments when she's not shy. That's one strategy. The second strategy is say, you know what, you know, because you, you know, she, she, you know, she knows that the teacher doesn't know her, right? So set a huge dream for her. So literally, you know, I, I think to be honest, I shouldn't take credit for the second one, the big dream part. She did it. The teacher did it. So what happened is the teacher listened to me and she understood everything. And she's an amazing teacher. She changed my daughter's life. And she, um, you know, told her, you know, there's this principal's council, and this is how it works. We, you all have to make a presentation as to why you should be the one from our class to join the principal's council. There's like, you know, 10 kids, five girls, five boys. And she came and cried her heart out and she want, didn't want to do it. And I was, you know, my father passed away, so I was going back and forth. So I was even, even home, but my wife was there. But, but she didn't want to disappoint the teacher because the teacher said, you're going to be amazing at it. So at home, she would cry and cry and, you know, all of that stuff. And my wife kind of, you know, kept saying, you know, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And what happened is she goes and gives a talk. And life and luck sometimes works, you know, in your favor. And what happened is there were four other girls, and they have been in the same school for four years. So I guess um, half boys, half girls. So the boys didn't want to take sides trying to vote for any of those girls, so they picked her. So oh, I'm sure she also did a decent job. So she ends up being selected to the principal's council. So this girl who believed she's shy and she cannot speak in front of even one person now gave a talk. And she gets elected to the principal's council. And little by little in that whole year, the teacher starts shifting the way she, she was looking at herself. You know, you are amazing. You're not shy. You know, she actually didn't even use the word you're not shy. You, she kept saying, you are bold. You are strong. You, you, know, you, you are an amazing public speaker. So she kept never talking about what she was not good at. She only talked about what she was good at. And today, you know, she makes plays and, you know, she's in leadership position. She directs them. She creates them. You know, she's doing all kinds of stuff. And wow. I just think back, you know, the transformation from, oh, you know, some a kid who was kind of going inward, inward, inward. And then it's interesting, right? I think, I don't know, um, as adults, you know, as parents, as leaders, as, you know, I mean, our teams look up to us, you know, I, you know, sometimes we can try to notice the positives and try to, you know, because the more positive we notice, the more the, the stronger they get. And talking about confidence, you know, I mean, that first thing was a big deal, just talking to, you know, five of her classmates. Now she's directing and making plays and, you know, acting in front of large audiences. And uh -huh. it's a huge jump. Of course, it didn't happen in one step. It's like, you know, 10, you know, I don't know, she was 10, I mean, uh, 9 or 10, and now she's 14, I mean, uh, sorry, 14, so four or five years later. So, but every step grows a confidence. Every step grows a confidence. And she goes to the next level and the next level and the next level. It's those, interesting. Those are, those are powerful leadership lessons. I've um, had a transformation in my um, dental practice in the last, uh, I would say, six months. And it's, the, it's uh, right in line with what you're talking about. When I sit down with my team, I do quarterly what we call 1010s. Just a check-in. It's not a review. I help them kind of self-evaluate where they're at and how they're growing and what their next quarter objectives and goals are. Um, but um, my objective is we have um, certain things that I've declared are important for the practice and then certain values that they've declared are important for them in the practice. And the question is when they self-evaluate is how evaluate yourself on your competence to um, to exemplify the tribute of simplicity or creativity or these values that of joy um, things that they came up with and it the um, the the joy that I get from that it goes back clear to where we started is knowing that I have a business to run that's important but really in the grand screen scheme that's short-term thinking what can I do for my team my staff that if they leave me tomorrow, they'll be a better person for working for me. And if we can teach them, again, that confidence is a learnable skill and that that can incrementally grow or exponentially grow or whatever path that we so choose, that is um, something really powerful. And I think if you can create that culture within your practice, turnover goes down, the productivity goes up, the fulfillment goes up, 
your ripple effect of patients feeling that and writing a review can be quite profound. And that's something that I've really tried to focus on, I would say, in the last six months. And um, if, if I told you the secret to my growth in the last six months, it would come back to that very thing. Yeah, I mean, you, you're hitting up on a third point, which I think is scarcity versus abundance, right? And trust me, we all have scarcity. I, I had a ton of it, and I think I'm letting go more and more of it. And, you know, it's a journey. Like, I used to be worried, you know, even telling what we do publicly because I was worried some competitor would steal my ideas. Yeah, you know, yeah. but then I realized, you know, it's, it's false worry. I mean, the world is a huge place. You know, there's like 100,000 dentists. You know, I don't need to worry about, oh, this one guy is going to steal my, you know, few hundred clients, you know. So, yeah. and um, and you're right. And and, um, and an idea that kind of um, resonated with me uh, maybe several years ago, and I still keep growing in it, is that, you know, when we are born, we don't pick our parents. We don't pick what country we're going to be born in. We don't pick what city we're going to live in. And when we die, the same thing, right? We don't get to take any of what we created with us. So why are we getting so caught up in all this nonsense about, oh, what am I going to lose? What am I going to lose by helping somebody else? <laughs> or by, you know, giving giving something, you know, like today I'm hoping we are giving something to the people who are listening, right? For sure, but yeah, absolutely. We don't take any of this with us, you know what I mean? Like I wish I could, but I can't, you know? Yeah. So what's the point? Yeah, I, I think that's a that sh that should be everyone's driving motivator of um, of what what is your legacy, and I think for dentists that means what are you giving to your community, and community can be a, a variety of things. It can mean your zip code, your patient base, whatever that may be. But um, in a global economy, I think there's if if you're doing well, and I think you should, and if you're not, then there's there's ways to unpack that and make sure you're doing well in dental practice. I think that dentists should feel more worthy of that, quite frankly, because, I mean, I can tell you my story. I went to undergrad for 10 years. I'm sorry, undergrad for five years. Went to dental school for four years. Went to residency for one year. So that's 10 years of education. I served the country to pay back that debt for four years, um, all before I started practice um, as I wanted to. And so... Um, there's a lot that goes into achieving the ability to buy a practice, own a practice, have a team. And for that, I think we should be rewarded. And so um, that's not an entitlement. I'm not saying that at all, but going back to your abundance, um, I don't think, you know, a six figure income is anything that somebody should celebrate. Um, if that's enough for you, then that's fine. But is it really fueling your epic life? Meaning are you getting, the vacations, the travel, the time with your family and friends that you really desire, um, making sure that that's part of your day-to-day -day and then projecting forward like you and I have both talked about and making sure that you're making a lasting impact. And you talked about the ultimate leadership lesson of, of making sure that a child um, is prepared for, you know, being productive, um, self-sufficient, um, really creating um, value for the world when they become 18 or 19 or whatever it may be. All those things we forget uh, when we're heads down doing a, a molar root canal, that those are the most important things. And if we look at it the right way, the root canal, the crown, all those things that we've studied so hard can be the engine that drives all that other thing. But uh, going back, it's kind of gone full circle, I think the clarity of knowing what we want that impact to be and what we want that legacy to be is has to be foundational to all that. If, it, if it's going to be a journey that um, we enjoy and um, that we feel that has given us a level of achievement that we desire. Yeah. And to piggyback on your point, you said, you know, um, that fear, oh, well, I'm teaching my team and what if they leave me and take all of that knowledge, right? Or the, I'm helping them grow my confidence and, Oh, what if they take all that and go and help somebody else, right? And letting go of that fear. I have two examples, and I, and these are everyday dentists. Like one is one of my dear friends and a client. I look up to him. He's a mentor of mine. His name is Dr. Jim Palmer, and um, you know he's the nicest guy on the planet. You know, like when I first went in this association, and you know he was a treasurer there and stuff, and. And he, you know, he, he, you know, really made me feel welcome and, you know, much appreciated. And, um, and, and it's not just with me, with everybody. Like, I have never talked to him when he doesn't, 
you know, talk about how amazing his team is. He praises wow. others, you know, not just in front of them, but when they're not there. And um, one of the things that kind of stuck with me is, you know, one day one of his team members said, you know, if we start early at 6 or 6.30 a.m., we can finish by 2. And we all have young and growing kids, and, you know, we would love to spend the time with our kids. And he said, you know, he should have said, you know, his only answer is, why don't you tell me this sooner? Because I could have done the same thing with my, when my kids are growing up. But anyways, but he didn't let that affect it. And so for the last so many years, that's what they do. They start at six and they finish at two. And his team loves him because he uh, cares about them just like, you know, like caring is something that you get when you care about others, right? I mean, you cannot buy loyalty. You cannot buy, you know, um, you know, uh, trust. You cannot buy love. People give you when you give them that, right? So it's amazing. And, and even his patients, he doesn't talk about them as patients or customers. He, he uses the word guest. He's, you know, um, he's in South Carolina, so in a southern, you know, the hospitality, he says, I treat my patients like a guest who I invite to my home. That's it. You know, and, and when he sets that model, everybody else models that. And he has an amazing life, an amazing practice, and the people around him, you know, love him. I mean, like, I, I only met him, like, you know, briefly here and there, you know, and stuff. But just those tiny interactions, you know how amazing it is. And the reason I bring it up is because, I mean, there are everyday heroes among us. And, and I have met so many dentists, you know, like that. You know, I'm just using him as an example, you know, every day. And, 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 and sometimes these everyday heroes, I think you know, make the world a better place. And we all can be like that. You know, of course, in our own little way, in our own little world, you know, we don't have to be Gandhi or, you know, we don't have to be this, you know, huge person. We can, you know, but but I think it comes back to your point, you know, that getting rid of that scarcity mindset, oh, by being too nice and being too complimentary or by doing more good for my team, or what if, you know, that ends up hurting me? I mean, just have to let go of that, you know, mindset. For sure. I, um, I appreciate what you said there. I think, um, what, at least when I look at my leadership journey, um, I grew up on a farm. It was kind of respect your elders speak when spoken to. I spent a lot of time in high school athletics where the coach's word was deed. Um, I was in athletic medicine um, at the University of Nebraska when they won national titles in 94 and 95. And the defensive coordinator could grab a linebacker by the face mask and tell him exactly how to redo the drill. Um, and then I was in the military, I was in dental school. So all these institutions can be very condescending. And um, I think that was kind of ingrained in my leadership style. And it um, is something that I've had to closely examine and realize that walking into my practice and thinking, hey, listen, you're on my payroll, this is what you have to do today is very, 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 very counterproductive. And right. that um, treating, you called the patient's guests, treating your patients like volunteers because they have, especially in a, a what, what I would consider a, a less loyal um, kind of culture that we have in dentistry, whereas you could screw up multiple times and your patient would you'd still be my doctor. Now, you know, if they get a statement for $14 because you, um, overestimated their insurance, they may leave, or they may leave you a three-star or one-star review. Um, we have to treat our patients as volunteers and our team as volunteers, because in essence, I can make my team show up for the morning huddle. I can keep them there as long as I want, but they get to decide how much energy, effort, um, how well they treat my patients. Um, I'm busy, busy, busy all day long, and I know little of what happens at the front desk or in the hygiene room um, when I'm not around. and so. Um, developing that sort of thing and treating them like gold and making them feel great and building them their confidence is just the right thing to do. But the dividends uh, for you, um, for your for your bottom line, um, for your, the growth of your practice, it's just there's so many ways to develop. Um, I think revenue isn't always a dollar sign. I think there's equity that we build in our practices. There's equity that we build in our reputation. There's equity um, that we build with our team. And sometimes um, we have to um, take a withdrawal and to build up that um, emotional bank account and those people is something that I think 
often gets overlooked um, because you know we 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 we're independent as dentists, we're doctors, we wear the white coat, and a lot is expected of us, and it's hard to say I don't know, um, but understanding the importance of the dependence and interdependence we have on our team and and our patients is so at least for my leadership journey journey we talked a lot about breakthroughs on the call today that has been um so important to to not think that um you're the, you're the dictator of your your practice because that'll only go so far but when you give and you develop this relationship of reciprocation the upside is endless Absolutely. And it's kind of interesting. Two two things I want to kind of point out and probably I want to set up another call if it's okay with you because I know we can talk like for 10 hours. Um, <laughs> so the first point I just want to point out to people is, I mean, great people have a ton of humility. And just in this call alone, you are admitting your own mistakes. And I don't know, I've never met a great person who doesn't have humility. And the other thing you mentioned is earlier on in your comment, um, you know, um, um, the confidence. People think, you know, that bravado, you know, that big shot thing is really confident. It's not. And, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, I mean, like, there's a story that Gandhi was Gandhi, but somebody in a train station, because he dresses like, you know, a coolie, right, meaning a, like a laborer, said, carry my bag, and he did. And um, he never told the person he's Gandhi. He, he, I mean, of course, everybody in, in India knew who Gandhi was, but, you know, in those days, they didn't have television, I guess, so they, he didn't know how he'd look like, you know, how, so. But that humility, right? And, and, and again, it goes back to confidence. Some people have false confidence. Some people have real confidence, right? And you, you can see it after a while who's real confident and who's false confidence. And the second point you made, which I totally, totally, totally agree, is that people think we get paid back only in money, and that's not true. I mean, you and I are doing this. I mean, nobody's writing a check for us to do this. But I bet there's going to be at least one guy who's going to listen to this and say, this helped me become a tiny bit better in my life, and he's going to remember us, right? Are we getting a check in our mail? No, but who cares, you know? Like we said, we don't check the check when we die anyway. So. Yeah. You know, and and you can get paid back in relationships. You can get paid back back in um, goodwill. You can get paid back in so many ways. Check is just just a small way. It's one of the you know relationships, goodwill, all those things, reputation, all those things, right? And I think a lot of people you know think the only way to get paid back is check, and they have this blinders on. And and sometimes you know that's one of the things I loved about my chat with Dr. Trent yesterday. You know, he writes, you know, he gives money and helps out the people in the community. You know, some, some person lost a bike. You know, he bought the girl a bike. You know, it doesn't ruin his life to spend 300 bucks to make, you know, this poor, you know, this girl who couldn't afford a bike, who lost her bike, to get her a bike. She'll and never you know forget what? that. Yeah. And, and, you know, and again, when he did this, he posted on his Facebook and he got back in so much more in, from the community because he's just being a nice human being. So sometimes because... You're like, oh, that check is, that bike is costing me three fifty, and oh, what if I don't get my return on investment? And overthinking all of that stuff, he just did it, and he just took a picture and posted on his Facebook. And again, it's very hard to measure these kinds of kindnesses and how it's paying back. But you know what? He's been in practice for one year. He gets more than a hundred patients. So I, I, I do think all of this stuff that he's doing, giving to the community, and you know, being part of the community is paying back. Of course, it's not measurable directly, but it works. Yeah. And sometimes I think we as people have to trust in the humankind and, you know, believe that the good that we do for others will come back to us. And sometimes, at least for me, when I think about when I'm in a dilemma in my practice or in life, quite frankly, I think about how well I sleep tonight. And so when you talk about Dr. McCord, just knowing that he probably went to bed that night with a smile on his face and um, how that made him feel. You know, every time I do um, some act of charity, whether it be free dentistry or some sort of mission trip, um, I go to give, but I always leave thinking that I have received more than I that I ever uh, that I ever put in energy into the into the exercise. Absolutely, um, I need to wrap up. We are running short of time, so if somebody wants to, I mean, I would love to have you back, Doctor. That's number one. If it's okay with you. Yeah, I mean, thank you. 
That'll be awesome. So we'll set up another time to, you know, have part two of this. And I'm sure we'll have part seven because I'm sure we can talk about a lot of interesting things. <laughs> that was an easy conversation. Yes, I'd love that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And, um, yeah, and the next question is if, you know, I'm a dentist and I, you know, need to talk to you or learn more about some of your ideas, what is there any place they can go and, you know, listen or, you know, get in touch with you? Yeah, a lot of the core concepts that we talked about today. Right. Um, do you have a website or a phone number, Doctor, where they could, people could go and get more information? Sorry, I lost my mic. Um, yeah, a lot of the core concepts that we talked about today um, is the reason I started my podcast a few years ago, The Relentless Dentist. So you can go to relentlessdentist.com. There's like 150 episodes that we recover, we um, recorded on there. There's tons of great guests and um, conversation, mostly about the mindset of success. Um, one of the pet peeves that I had when I started um, recording those was the exact thing that you talked about, that there wasn't enough humility. I wasn't feeling like when I listened to a paramount speaker in dentistry that they were talking about the uncollectible balances or the no-shows or the veneers that came unbonded. And that's what my day-to-day -day looked like to some degree. And knowing that we're all um, having those struggles and also the successes is also important. Um, so realistdentist.com is kind of where most of uh, the content that I've created lives, um, but I'm also happy to uh, get a lot of emails. So reaching out to me, david at valleydentist.com uh, is the easiest way to contact me. And a lot of times I'll schedule calls and um, give away advice. I don't have anything for sale, um, but again, like you and I talked about, it, it allows me to go to bed with a smile on my face that... I've learned from so many great authors and speakers and podcasts, uh, mentors, people that have given of their time. And so if I can help somebody out and let them learn from my lessons at the School of Hard Knocks, uh, I'm happy to do that. That would be awesome. Yes, so relentlessdentist.com. I, I think you have more than 100 episodes. That's an amazing resource. And, and your email again is david at? Vail, V-A-I-L, valleydentist.com. Perfect. David at V-A-I-L, valleydentist.com. Perfect. Right. I would love to have you back. And once again, everyone, thank you for listening to another amazing episode of growingdentist.com. I would say this is one of my best episodes, and I just can talk for 10 hours. So thank <laughs> you, Dr. David Maloli, for taking the time and, and really doing this for us. Thank you. I really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you, doctor.